0: Amen. Well, good morning. Happy Easter. I want to say a particular welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time uh, in person or online. We are so, so glad you've taken some time out of your Easter Sunday to be here with us in our church community. We've been hoping you join us here this morning. Again, whether it's in person or online. Thank you so much for being a part of our celebration. And if you are a guest with us, what we're all about at Chatham Community Church is really simple. Connect people to God, to each other, so together we can engage our world for good. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. We spent the last several weeks at Chatham Church talking about how things are fractured in our world. They're not as they should be. And so we celebrate this morning the Easter restoration story that God is putting the world back together again with Jesus. And so we've had Regina over here putting some pieces back together again on some stained glass. She'll be keeping the work. She'll continue to work on that. Throughout the course of this service and the next service as well, Regina, that was your birthday last week, wasn't it? Happy birthday, Regina! We're so glad that you're here with us. That's right. Happy birthday! Now, I'm always intrigued by people's bucket lists. Any of you have a bucket list? Something that you want to accomplish before you die, right? Yeah, mental or written, right? So, two weeks ago, I checked something off my bucket list. You ready for this? I got called out on next door. Yes. Next door, of course, social media offshoot. Uh, where people with neighbors can talk and complain about each other. That's what Next Door is, in case you're not familiar with it. A couple of weeks ago, one of my middle school daughters had like a dozen friends over for a slumber party celebrating her birthday. It was great. There's like middle school girls everywhere, phones, pizza, junk food, all over the place. Right now, uh, my wife and I were trying to be aware of what's going on, but not too aware, right? You can't be in the middle of middle school girls. You can't be all up in it. So we were like in us some space, right? And there's pizza and there's junk food. And they, what, what they do, unbeknownst to us, is we've got this little community soccer field out in, in our community, and they take food and drink onto the soccer field, which is against the rules. And then, because we weren't watching particularly closely, we didn't realize they left junk all over the place on the soccer field. There's pizza crust, there's orange peels, there's like cups, there's plates, all that stuff. They come in after dark. We don't know what's going on. We're not aware of any of this, right? And so uh, and so we're not, we, again, we don't think to send anyone out to clean up. And, and so we don't know anything going on until someone over next door very helpfully points it out that there's junk all over the, the soccer field, right? Probably kids, to which someone replies, irresponsible kids are the result of irresponsible parents. <laughs> logical, right? Completely logical next step, right? And so the, st- the pylon begins from there about how the world is going to pot because of irresponsible kids who have irresponsible parents. Now, I'm not on next door because it's not good for my soul, okay? But my wife is, and she immediately recognized that this was our families doing our party. And so because my wife is a much better Jesus follower than I am, she very graciously and playfully jumped on the thread, apologized to everyone, confessed. We have many parental shortcomings. Just ask our teenagers. They'll tell you all about it. Our fault. There was this party. We weren't watching too closely. We will go out and clean it up. So my wife and my daughter, they go out and clean up all the junk on the soccer field, Two days later, I'm walking my dog in the neighborhood, and a couple of women very flatteringly stopped me and said they could not believe how that turned into a dog pile on the parents. And at that point, I had some perspective, and I shrugged, and I said, you know what? A life lesson for our kids and for all of us is if you make a mess, you got to clean it up. Make a mess, clean it up, take responsibility. It's not a bad thing. Check something off my bucket list. Yes, called out on next door. Taught my kids a life lesson. You make a mess, you clean it up. That's such a great thing. Here's the problem. What happens when you make a mess that's too big for you to clean up? What happens when you make a mess out of your life or someone else's life? That's not clean upable. Not everything is as easy as pizza crusts and plastic cups. What happens when someone makes a mess in your life? doesn't clean it up. Doesn't even bother to apologize. Or even if they do, it still leaves a mark. Now, of course, we can't live there, right? Most of us don't live in, in that space of like, gosh, all the things I've done and all the things the people have done to I me. Mean, you can't kind of move on. You feel kind of frozen in that if you get stuck in it. But my friends, here's the deal. We don't stop doing it, right? We, as we go out, as we live our lives, we keep making messes. That's what humans do. Humans are really, really good at creating fractures in the world. And then you put us together in community. I don't know, social media or neighborhood groups, or HOAs, or school, or business, or politics, and you got fractured people who contribute to more fracturing and more fracturing and more fracturing. Not that everything is as bad as it could be, it's just that nothing is as good as it was supposed to be, and we can't seem to fix it to get it to where we know it could be and should be. We can picture it, but we can't actually make it happen, can we? So, here's the good news about Easter. Easter is God's good work of stepping into a fractured world full of fractured and fracturing people and making things whole again. Restoring broken things, cleaning up messes that are unclean upable in our own strength, in our own power. Today, the invitation to you and to me is to bring all the ways that you have fractured the world and all the ways you have been fractured in this fracturing world, to bring all those pieces to the Lord. And to come to the resurrected king and say, thank you. Take these pieces. Make me whole again. Make the world whole again. That you might then participate in Jesus' great restoration project. This is what our souls cry out for. This is what the world needs. And my hope and my prayer is that together on the other side of Easter Sunday, we might then be participants in the great restoration project of Easter. Earlier, Caitlin read the uh, the Easter account, the Resurrection account from Luke, and what you have in that account is this group of women go to the tomb. They meet some angels. Why you look for the living among the dead, right? The the body's not there. He's been raised from the dead. Now every Easter, there's people kind of here or online who are like, "I like the Easter story, but come on, no one actually gets raised from the dead, right?" I mean, that's like it's a cute story. It's a nice story, but like not a real account, right? Not. History. Here's why I think you should consider this actual history. Here's why I think this might be true. In the ancient world, the testimony of women was not permissible in court. All four accounts of the resurrection had Jesus being the first eyewitnesses to bear witness to Jesus' resurrection. If you were making this up, you would not make it so that women were the first ones to see it because their testimony is not permissible in court. You would not record this in the story because that actually undermines your story in the ancient world unless it was true unless those are the people that actually were the first ones to see or experience the resurrected Jesus. In the ancient world, first century, there were two groups of people that were not permitted to bear witness in court, the shepherds and the women. Therefore, Jesus' birth is announced by shepherds, and his resurrection is announced by women, because Jesus has come to gather up all the shards of this broken world and bring them into his beautiful restoration project from beginning to end. Now, the disciples hear the woman's report. They're kind of confused by it. And as the day rolls on at Resurrection Sunday, they start to hear more reports of Jesus' resurrection. And so they're gathered together trying to process all this and figure out what all that means and how it all comes, how this is kind of adding up. And this is how Jesus' appearance to his core 11 disciples unfolds in Luke's account, verse 36. While the disciples were talking about all this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Have any of you ever been in an argument or upset about something and someone comes along and says you just need to calm down? Has that ever worked? No. (laughs) Right. Like, Listen, if you're upset about something, there's a problem, some sort of situation that you're upset about. The only way you're going to calm down is if the person fixes the problem. Then you can tell me to calm down. Right? The disciples have spent the last couple of days wrung out, Shame, hiding, fear, anger, exhaustion. If anyone else had come to them and said, peace be with you, I think they might have had a very specific place to tell that person where to stick their peace. But the resurrected Jesus is the solution that solves the problem the last couple of days. The resurrected Jesus is the solution to the grief, the shock, the pain of these last few days. And his word to you, his word peace to you, it's not just a nice platitude. It is the reversal of their worst nightmare to the greatest event in human history. The reversal of the worst thing that's happened to them in their lives to the most magnificent thing that's happened to any of us ever. That word peace to you, one of our favorite words around here is shalom. That's what that means. Shalom be with you. That's a a Jewish greeting. It's it, it's not just warm fuzzy peace or kind of like not being anxious. It's like flourishing wholeness. All is well. 360 degrees, rightness, right relationships, flourishing, wholeness, and well-being. This is what the resurrected Jesus is. He has come to inaugurate the Shalom Restoration Project, taking all these fractured pieces and parts and reassembling them to where they are relating rightly to one another before the Lord, making it integrated, restored. Later, the writers of the New Testament will talk about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and they'll call it an atonement for sin or atoning for sin. That word atonement literally means at-one-ment, right? Atonement, at-one-ment, taking broken things and making them whole again, first in and with God, and then with each other. Atonement, because sin fractures, disintegrates, diseases us. And what the Lord does is introduce atoning power, at-wanting power, the power to gather up all the shards of the brokenness and the fracturedness and piece things back together again in God, with God, at the center. See, the whole biblical story, the biblical arc of the story of creation and relationship with God starts with shalom. Everything that God makes at the very beginning, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good, it relates rightly. Then sin is introduced to the world and things start to fracture and fall apart. And then Jesus introduces atoning power, at one mint power, taking all the clean all the messes that you and I can't clean up and putting them back together again so that at the end all things come together again under his great, magnificent, marvelous shalom. The word of shalom to you is a useless religious platitude unless the resurrected king actually is there. With them and it's useless not just if it's a resurrected King so that Jesus becomes the most revered and followed religious figure of all time which he is it's not just about Jesus what if the resurrected King is not just there to show off how great he is what if the resurrected King actually has come to resurrect you and me to bring resurrection power into the world that's full of fracturedness and division what if that atonement, that atoning power has been unleashed into the world and you're invited to participate in Jesus' beautiful atoning, reconciling, putting things back together again work? My friends, because maybe you're here today and all's not right with you. Maybe you're here today and you feel the aches and pains of living in a fractured, broken world. Maybe you're anxious, weary, angry. Maybe there's family drama, not that you've ever have family drama, Maybe there's pain at school among friend groups, at work. Maybe you're physically not well. Maybe you're financially not well. Maybe you're just weary from the fracturedness around you. This world is not as it should be. All kinds of brokenness, wars that we've been watching unfold over the last weeks, bigger wars that don't get coverage on TV that still matter to the people there, that are in the midst of them, that God still loves and cares about, justice issues, racial issues, all kinds of issues and division. Some of us carry the weight. We feel the weight of the brokenness in this world. And so my friends, one of my first questions for you this morning is, where do you need Jesus's shalom to you? Where do you need that to be at work at play in your own heart, your own soul, your own mind, in you or in the world around us so that you might know the peace that Christ brings? Where do you need resurrection power to be at work? To usher you in. See, because what Jesus does, he, he comes down to the storm of a world full of fracturing. And there's shards flying everywhere. What Jesus does, he sets up this giant umbrella of shalom. He says, come out, come out from the craziness of a fractured world. Come and rest under my umbrella of shalom. I am here to put these pieces back together again. I'm here to put your pieces back together again. I know the world's broken. I want to share in that brokenness. I've experienced it myself. Come, find your peace in my name. Now, in order for the disciples to really know that shalom, they have to be willing to receive it, right? They can hear it. It's one thing to hear an invitation, another thing to accept an invitation. And there might be any number of reasons why they would push away the, the greeting from Jesus and the, the invitation to participate in his shalom. Maybe they feel too guilty. They just abandoned Jesus a few days ago. I'm too bad, too messed up. Jesus doesn't want me. Maybe they had too many fears, too many questions, too many doubts. Maybe voices arise in their head. I don't want anyone else's grace. I don't want anyone else's mercy. I want to figure it out myself. I want to fix it myself. I want to do it myself. Anyone ever say that or hear someone else say those words? Or maybe the idea like grace, mercy, shalom, all nice things, all nice spiritual things. I'll get to that when I got time. I got other more important things to do. Got a family to raise. I'm busy at work. I'm busy playing golf. I'm busy doing other things. What are the other things? That are more important than participating, entering into Jesus' shalom project. Any of you ever said some of those things? Or thought some of those things? Or heard someone else say some of those things? The resurrected Jesus appears to the disciples. Invites them into his shalom project. But the disciples have to be willing. Have to be willing to accept his invitation, just like you and I have to be willing to accept his invitation into this majestic, beautiful reconciliation, restoration project. And so, my friends, my first question to you was where do you need the shalom of Christ to be at work in your life? But the second question is, where are you resistant to it? And can you resist your resistance? Can you surrender your resistance? Can you lay down that resistance so that you are no longer pushing back against Jesus's shalom restoration project, but that you are actually a participant? In it. Shalom be with you. Wholeness. Restoration. This is Jesus' first words to his scared disciples. It is still his word to you and to me today, 2,000 years later, as the resurrected king has come to resurrect you. Are you willing to receive resurrection power, the peace of Christ, the power of Christ, to put your pieces back together again and to be a participant in his majestic resurrecting work all this is happening because of the atoning work of jesus that power he's poured into the to the to the earth onto this broken place to bring broken pieces back together again jesus continues to introduce himself and reintroduce himself to the disciples as the account continues verse 37 the disciples were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost he said to them why are you troubled why do doubts arise in your minds look at my hands and my feet it is i myself Any of you have some cool scars? Do you have stories behind? Like, cool scars with stories? When I was a kid, I had a bike trick. I get going really fast, and I would stand up, take my feet off the pedal, stand up on the bar between the seat and the handlebars while the bike was moving. I thought I was awesome. In my mind, all the kids in my neighborhood thought I was awesome. And in my mind, especially the cute girl in the neighborhood thought I was awesome. And one time I was doing my trick to impress on my friends. They were all ooing and awing and cheering loudly when a wasp stung me right behind my ear. Now, this was the good old days, right? When no one wore any protective gear. Remember the good old days? No one wore a helmet? Bah. So overrated. And by God's grace, I did not scramble my brain, but I did wipe out pretty hard and I had a nasty gash right on my knee for decades. It was so cool. I got to tell the story of when I wiped out on my bike doing the cool trick that everyone was so impressed by, having cool scars with cool backstories. As Jesus appears to his disciples, he shows them his scars. Look at my hands, my feet. Touch them and see them. He's showing the scars from just a few days ago. Here's what's so powerful about this. Jesus' Easter resurrection and restoration project will continue throughout history into eternity with scars on his hands from living in this fractured world. For all eternity, Jesus in a resurrected body will have scars with the story behind it of how he rescued you and me to take broken things and make them whole. See, Jesus was the Son of God before time began. He stands outside of time like a movie producer, looks at the whole film strip and can see the whole thing. And at one point, he steps into the story to put on flesh, lays down his life to pour out atoning power into a fractured and broken storyline to repair all these broken things. And then the Son of God is raised from the dead in a resurrection body forever, forever and ever, amen. The Son of God now has a body where somewhere before time, he didn't have a body. Now he does forever and ever, all time. And that body, one day will stand out over this whole fractured world and will declare there is no more mourning, no more death, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain because the old order of things is passing. Behold, I am making everything new. And as he sings out this new making song over this fractured world, he will do so still with scars in his hands and in his feet And we'll tell the story of the scars throughout all eternity. The story of what Jesus did to get us into eternity with him. We will sing that story. We'll celebrate that story. There will always be a great story, my friends. In Christ Jesus, your scars, both physical and emotional, can be a part of your glory and your story, just like Jesus' scars will forever and always be part of his glory and his story. Because in Christ Jesus, life, not death, has the last word. Because in Christ Jesus, your pain and my pain do not have the last word over us. His resurrection does. His grace does. His mercy does. No matter how broken your life is and how much pain you bring into this morning, there is a power stronger in the the resurrected Christ. There's a power that's greater than all the brokenness in the world in Christ Jesus. Why should you trust Jesus? Why should you let him have authority in your life? Why should you allow him to speak his shalom into your life? Because he knows pain has conquered it. Because he's absorbed all the worst the world could throw at him. Because he knows injustice. He knows being betrayed. He knows religious self-righteousness. He knows all the brokenness of this world. He's absorbed all of it and has overcome it. And so he stands here this morning with nail-scarred hands and says to you and to me, my shalom I want to give to you. Come, son, daughter. I want to pour life into your life. I want to pour restoration, resurrection power. I am, I am resurrected to resurrect you so that your scars, your pain, your grief do not have the last word over you, just like they did not have the last word over me. Come and share my joy. Come and share my shalom. Trust me. Walk with me. Now, this invitation into the shalom of Christ by the resurrected Christ with nail scarred hands, it's not just a personal event, although it's personal, not just an individual event, although it is individual. The world is a big, beautiful mess. And Jesus has come not just to redeem you individually. He's come to restore and reset the whole world, to redeem all the mess, all the beautiful brokenness. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to send his disciples to all the nations to be a part of his restoration project, to invite the whole world into his restoration project. Here's how Jesus talks about it in this verse. In verse 45, he says this. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city till you've been clothed with power from on high. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit that the Father's going to pour out to them in just a few weeks. Have you ever noticed it's okay to tell people about some of the things that have changed your life, but not everything that's changed your life, right? So, like, you discover a new TV show or watch a movie. It's okay to sort of tell people, hey, you should watch this. You should see it. It was really great. Some of us get into running and marathoning, and you start posting on social media about how it's changed your life and your times and your splits and how it's been so good for you. Some of you are into CrossFit, and we all know it. (laughs) And you love to bench press elephants, and we hear all about it. There's an app called Goodreads where you share about books you've read and how, it's, how this book's been great, you should read it, and you, this book stinks, you shouldn't read it, right? There's a whole category of things it's okay to be an evangelist about, right? To persuade people, to share in your joy, what you, what's changed your life. But when it comes to faith and like religion and spirituality, evangelism, it just makes you want to cringe, right? Now maybe it's too many Mormons knocking on your door, or maybe it's just that obnoxious sort of Bible thumper in your family or at work that drives us crazy. It's a hard thing for us to get our minds around in our culture here today about faith, spirituality, and where is it okay to? What's it okay to talk about? What's, it not, what's not okay for us to talk about? In almost all the post-resurrection experiences of Jesus, in almost everyone, there's a word: go, go disciples, you, I'm going to send you out. Here Jesus says, repentance for the forgiveness of sins We preached in my name to all the nations. Jesus is sending out his disciples to all the nations. They have no idea what this actually means for their lives at this point, but man, for the next couple of decades, they're going to be places and doing things they had no idea that they would ever, ever do. And some of you read this and wish Jesus had never said it, because here is the kind of The origin story of your obnoxious aunt, uncle, Bible thumper, whatever that drives you crazy, right? But here's what's true. Right here in this moment, Jesus is tipping over the very first domino. It's going to unleash 2,000 years of the biggest movement in human history and the most generous movement in human history. In 2,000 years, part of the problem is this. A church is full of people, and people are messy, amen? Amen. And so what you have is a bunch of fractured people and fracturing people, and the church has a long, sordid history of all kinds of abuses, problems, scandals. Horrible. Bad. Horrific. But here's what I want to say to you. There's nothing particularly creative or new about the church's scandals. Power. Money. Pleasure. Approval. Applause. Lying and cover-up. Is that Enron, or is that the church? Is that your local politician? Is that Washington, D.C. government. See, here's the deal. The church is very uncreative when it comes to her sins. Very common when it comes to her sins. It's not excusable. Everyone should be held accountable, 100% accountability for when we vary from the way of Jesus. So 100%. I'm not saying give this off the hook. I'm just saying the church is not very inventive when it comes to our sins because as human beings, we fall for the same six temptations all the time. Money, pleasure, power, approval, applause, Leave me alone, let me do my own thing. Line covering up. Right? Those same six six storylines, we fall for those temptations all the time. The church's sins are not especially creative. Here's what's what's creative. The miracles are creative. The wonderful things are creative. The the things that are mind-blowing, that are totally different from everybody else, are the good things. Christians, the first, hospitals. That's Jesus followers. Centers of hospitality, hospitals. Christians invented, hospitals. Orphanages. Were invented by Christians, caring for especially little girls that were thrown in the gutter by the early Romans who didn't want girls. So Christians would gather them up, raise them. The first orphanages, caring for kids, raising them, attending to them. Started by Christians. The whole thing called a nonprofit sector, not a thing in the ancient Roman world. Christians invented the nonprofit sector. And then, of course, there's names that maybe you've heard of. Desmond Tutu, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., William Wilberforce, who ended the slave trade. And then there's Christians you haven't heard of doing all kinds of things, opening food pantries and mowing the lawn for a neighbor going through a hard time. My friends, the the sins of the church are all over the place. They're heartbreaking, but they're boring and normal. The miracles are wonderful. And so when Jesus teaches his people to go to declare sort of repentance of sins in his name. When when Jesus' followers have done the Jesus thing, taught the shalom of Christ in the Jesus way, faith, hope, and love, love even for our enemies, it blesses everyone, even people who hate Jesus are blessed. When Jesus' followers in the Jesus way of faith, hope, and love do the Jesus thing and bring the shalom of Christ to a weary, broken, fractured World. And so Jesus has the audacity to say to his followers, You're going to go to all the nations. They've got their own gods, their own religions, and you're going to tell them what I've done. You're going to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. They're going to be restores. And so, what where do we start? Where does restoration start? How do we enter into the, the, the thing that Jesus wants to do? Restoration starts here. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's how you enter into Jesus' Easter shalom. Restoration project. Repentance just means to turn around, change direction, change your mind. That's where our participation begins in this restoration project, and it ends, well, never. Not for all eternity. And so this Easter Sunday morning, Easter 2022, I have been sent here in a long line, 2,000 years, of people who have been sent to declare to you, the resurrected King commands everyone to repent from our sins. To repent. Turn away from the brokenness, the way that we are fracturing the world. We've contributed to the fracturing. We've violated the commands of a good, good father. Repent of our sins. Turn away from the brokenness. Turn away from the ways we've contributed. Acknowledge our brokenness. We repent of our sins, and we entrust ourselves to the atoning power of Jesus, allowing that to wash us clean, and we receive the grace and mercy that makes us whole. This is urgent. This is the most important decision you're gonna ever make in your whole life. Who you marry, not as important as following Jesus. Where you live, not as important as following Jesus. What kind of job or career you have, not as important as following Jesus. This is how you enter into the Easter restoration project in this life, into the next. Apart from this, there is no participation in the restoration project of Jesus Christ in this life or into the next. And so I urge you, for those of you who do not know this Jesus, those of you who have not made this decision, the invitation is to you and all who will hear the good news. The resurrected King has come to resurrect you. To gather up all the fracturedness of your world and this whole world and put it back together again. And if you have not yet entrusted yourself to the shalom project of Jesus, the invitation here today is to do so. To entrust yourself to the resurrected King who has come with nail-scarred hands to resurrect you and your story. And then... We follow him, follow his gracious leading. We follow the direction of a good, good savior who directs us and points us and leads us to places we would never imagine we'd go. That's exactly what happened to those first 11 disciples. They end up all over the world. They had no idea what God was gonna do with them to invite them into the restoration project that he had established and kicked off here inaugurated on Easter Sunday morning. And you, my friends, you have no idea what the resurrected king might do in you and through you as he's resurrecting you and the world around you. I always close with a wildly important take home or two. Some things to think about, pray about, and take home with you as you leave here. So today's wildly important take home is simply this. The resurrected King's Easter restoration project begins with shalom. To you, peace to you, restoration, wholeness to you. Where do you need the shalom of Christ in your personal life? Where in the world do you long to see the shalom of Christ being worked out? Where do you have a burden for shalom, wholeness, restoration to be happening in the world, in our community, right here in Chatham County or all over the globe? And then, can you surrender your resistance? Can you name and surrender your resistance, whatever that might be? Can you begin to lay that down at Jesus' feet and say, okay, I hear that you want to put things back together again. Here's all the reasons why I don't want you to muck around in my life. Here's all the reasons why I don't trust you. Here's all the reasons I'm not sure about this. Can you begin to lay those things down and surrender them? And then finally, there's the invitation to enter into the restoration project. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. That's the invitation to you and to me. A couple couple quick steps, acknowledging our fracturedness and how we contribute to the fracturing of the world. We ask for the atoning power of Jesus to put us back together again. And then we accept the invitation to enter into the shalom of Christ. To say, yes, I'm willing to be a part of your project here today. What I'm going to do as we close today is I'm going to walk you through these these as prayer prompts. We're going to give you just a couple minutes through each of these things to pray. And to invite the Lord to do whatever work God wants to do in your heart, in your life, to maybe put some things back together again, to Maybe step into some fracturing and fragmenting in your own soul, your own heart. Or maybe there's a place in the world that you have a burden for or an issue in the world you long to see changed. And then for those of us who need to say yes to the work of Jesus, to step into that, in, that invitation to repentance, I'm going to give you space both here in person and online. I'm going to invite you just to pray with me through this. So let's pray here. We'll just take a moment here on Easter Sunday morning, 2022, to take a deep breath and enter into the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together as I walk through this. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for being the resurrected King who resurrects us. And so this morning, Lord Jesus, in the midst of a weary, fractured, exhausted world, we say yes and amen to your invitation to shalom. And so my friends, I just want you to pray for a minute. Where do you need the shalom of Christ, in your personal life or in the world? Why do you to take a minute silently to offer that to the Lord, the place where you'd love to see the shalom work of Jesus go forward. are you resistant? Where are you doubting? Where are you fearful? Can you surrender your resistance to the Lord for just a beat? In the name of Jesus, I declare that the resurrected power of Jesus has more authority than our resistance. And so we lay down that resistance before you, King of kings and Lord of lords, to invite your resurrection power and shalom. Into our lives. And then where do you need to invite Jesus into your life? Those of you who have not taken that first step of repentance into his kingdom. To turn away from other things. To enter into the shalom of Christ. I want to invite you to acknowledge the ways you contributed to the fracturing of the world. Just acknowledging that you have contributed to the brokenness. Take a minute to do that. And now we ask with thanksgiving for the atoning power, the at power of Jesus to be at work in our hearts and our lives. We say yes and thank you for your atoning power, Jesus. Receive that. Ask for that now. And then we say yes and amen to the Shalom Restoration Project launched Easter Sunday. We say yes to the invitation to be instruments of restoration and repair wherever Jesus might send us, both internally in our own souls, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our volunteer organizations. Jesus, wherever you might send us, we say yes to being a participant in your Shalom Restoration Project. Take a minute, say yes to Jesus in whatever way you hear him inviting you to be a participant in his Shalom Restoration Project. And now, Lord Jesus, it is with great joy we sing the good news of your reconciliation, your love for us. We we rejoice over Easter. We rejoice over the work of Easter. We say yes and amen to the restoration work of Jesus. We want to be part of it. We want to be instruments of it. Come, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take these pieces and put us back together again. We pray with great joy and we sing with great joy in Jesus' strong and resurrected name. Amen, amen, and amen.